Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert here with my illustrious and excellent colleague, Dr. Millicent Ravello. Good evening. Are you feeling illustrious and excellent? <laughs> you know, when you say that I am, I definitely feel like I am. Well, you are. And that is why we're here to talk about capsular contracture. That is a big, hefty concept, capsular contracture. What does that mean? Well, we're talking about breast implants. And who doesn't like breast implants? <laughs> Nobody that I know. Everybody likes breast <laughs> implants. Um, well, there are some people who don't like well, them. There are some people who don't like them. They've had them taken out. Most people like breasts. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's true. That's All true. right. <laughs> but capsular contracture makes breast implants not so fun. Not so fun. So capsular contracture is something that happens in patients that have breast implants. And it could be breast implants that were put in for reconstruction, that were put in for cosmetic purposes, regardless of the reason why they have implants. They have implants in place and they've developed a complication of the breast implants and that's referred to as capsular contracture. And capsular contracture, what happens if you put a foreign body into the body, whether it's an ortho piece of hardware or whether it's breast implants, the body's natural response cell is to phone. form or put a cell phone, put anything. You can literally put anything in the body and the body's response to it is going to be to form a capsule. And it's just the body's way of walling off that foreign body from the rest of the actual body. It's sort of a it's protective mechanism. And usually in the breast, around a breast implant, it's a very filmy, soft, flimsy layer. And that's normal. Capsular contracture is when that layer of capsule becomes very thick and becomes a problem. And it does contract it literally squeezes yes. because of the whatever is going on in the implant in that filmy layer it's deforming the implant it's deforming it so can if you think of contracture contraction is exactly what it's doing that capsule around the implant is squeezing and getting hard and deforming the breast and the implant and so there are various we call them grades of capsular contracture which go from very mild to very severe so you may have a very mild form of capsular contracture where you, maybe you're the only one, you and your doctor, that can tell you have it. If you are manipulating the implant or feeling it or touching it, it just feels a little bit firmer than it should. And that most people can live with. Now, when it starts to actually look bad, where it's squeezing around the implant and forming it to this kind of hard ball stuck on the chest look... That's getting a little bit worse, and most patients don't like that. And then the most severe form is going to be when it actually hurts. It's actually yeah. causing pain. And those are what you just described as the Baker scale. Yes. There's Baker 1, Baker 2, Baker 3, and Baker 4. And uh, those those terms are key because a Baker 1 is normal, Baker 2 being, as you described, it's a little bit firmer. You can tell there's something there, but it doesn't look bad, and you can live with it. Yeah. Baker three being that, you know, it looks bad. It looks bad. And Baker four is it looks bad and it hurts. Right. And so three and four, those grades of three or four, is when you're talking about having some kind of revision or procedure done to to fix it. But I think before we go on to, to how we fix it, let's talk a little bit about why it forms, which is sort of a black box in some yeah. ways. You know, everyone always, well, what can I do? How can I prevent it? How does it form? And the big picture answer is we don't necessarily know who is going to form capsular contracture or why it happens. We have a lot of theories as to why it happens. And I think a lot of surgeons have modified their technique over the decades. We do know that there is some form of bacteria or a biofilm that forms and leads to it. And so with the advent of 
more antibacterial irrigations and, and, and different ways of putting in implants, I think we've decreased the amount of capsular contraction we're seeing. But the, yeah. the big picture answer is we don't really have a solid answer as to why some patients form it and some don't. We just don't know. I am a biofilm believer. I am a, uh, a bacteria, low-grade bacterial contamination mm-hmm. guy. Like I think those things are real. I do think that the number one reason why capsular contractor forms is because of bleeding into the pocket. Okay. I will, yeah, I will agree with you. I don't I know if that's, that's the number it. one reason, but I agree that it's a reason. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, I think if you do not stop the bleeding in the pocket, you know, before you put those implants in, you don't have a dry f- operative field and you get blood in there, that blood is very irritating. And it's a medium for bacteria. So you may not necessarily have a florid infection in your breast. You might never be a patient that has a breast implant infection. But if there's any kind of low-grade or mild, tiny amount of bacteria around that implant, you may end up having capsular contracture in the future. And and I, I think there is a caveat to that. Just because you get capsular contracture doesn't mean that there was a problem with the way your implant was put in. It doesn't mean that your doctor didn't do everything right. Sometimes these little bacteria just get in there or sometimes you just get capsular contracture, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the initial surgery was done wrong. No, the capsular contracture is a potential complication of breast augmentation. It is not, and even in the setting of completely excellent surgery done excellently by still happen yeah Yeah. by you still can get it you know and the way that you know that when the patients are signing their consent forms and it says capsular contracture is a risk of breast implant surgery well you can't consent to malpractice (laughs) (laughs) so it's not yeah it's it's not malpractice malpractice. it happens it's it's something that happens yeah it's not great it's whatever but you know that is a risk of surgery, and it is not. You know it happens. You know without negligence, it happens right. in in the setting of amazing surgery. You still can get a capsular contracture. Yeah, and it sucks. And it sucks, and it but it it definitely happens. And I think that there are some time courses to capsular contracture. You certainly can see it early. I mean, I've seen it as early as three, four months, and that's not uncommon if you're going to get it. But sometimes you see it at one year, two years. Once I think you've hit the two, three-year mark, you're probably okay. But then I think you're at another risk once you start getting the 10, 15-year mark. Correct. Then it goes up again. So it sort of you know goes in these waves of occurrences. What would you say the percentage of breast implants that wind up with a capsular contracture. What's the, what's the, you know, kind of like it's going to be 10%, 7%, 12%. I think that's a tricky number because it is. That's why I (laughs) because I do think that our numbers are decreasing because I do think we're getting better. So if you're taking breast implants as a whole, the number of implants that have been put in since 1960 or whatever, that number is going to be high and the order of, you know, up to, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten percent if you're looking at patients who've had implants in since the 60s. But I think if you're looking at a, the cohort of patients that have had breast implants put in by board-certified plastic surgeons over the past five years, that number's going to be a lot smaller. I think you're going to look something in the order of three percent maybe. I, I agree with you. Um, I tell patients that, you know, depending on the study, depending on the implant, depending on how you want to look at it, the range of capsular contracture is anywhere between seven and fifteen percent. I mean, yeah. but because I think long term, a lot of if you leave right, implants right. over 20, 30 years, you're going to have capsular contraction. Yeah, so it's like it's hard to tell. Yeah, 
if it happens to you, you think it's 100%. Of course. So, you know, capsular contracture is, it's a setback because, you know, you have to deal with it. There are medications we can give Accolade or uh, Singular. Singular, which are in, are asthma medications that in like just serendipitously were discovered to soften capsular yeah. contracture in asthmatics who had breast implants. And then I think there's actually an FDA indication to use them now uh, for capsular contracture, but they don't work in all patients. And they and by work, I would say it would be the patients that you discover it very early. They're that grade two. And maybe they never would have gone on to be grade three or four anyways, but you give them six months of it, they do fine. They never have any problems again. Yeah. And, and so those are the, the other option is, you know, surgery. surgery. Yeah. And do you switch the implant at whenever you do a capsular contracture? So yeah, so the, the treatment for capsular contracture, assuming you want treatment, you know, you're at that grade three, four level at that point medicine's not going to work. The only thing you can do is surgery. And my treatment is to go in, take out the entire capsule, take out the implant. I will consider putting it in a different pocket. So if it's over the muscle, maybe putting it under the muscle. Really? Yeah. With the capsular contracture? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I get a little aggressive with capsular contractures. I just, if I have the chance to do everything possible, I will. Now, some patients, I can't switch the pocket for whatever reason. They have really thin skin. I just can't. But if it's a feasible thing, I know I have a lot of patients who have implants that were put in many, many years ago in a subglandular position above the muscle. Those patients, it's easy for me to just switch it out, put it under the muscle. So that's, you know, easy enough to do. You know, if it's already under the muscle, I can do like a neosubpectral pocket and, and keep it under the muscle, but in a different different position. Right. So if I can do a pocket change, I will. I always take out the entire capsule, which is a job. That is a surgery in and of itself to get sure all is. that capsule out. But I do think that that is going to give my patients the best chance of not recurring. Yeah. I mean, I think those are all good things to do. And I'm, I think aggressive is a good way to go. Um, you didn't mention putting in ADMs, you know, a cellular because dermal that's matrix. My, that's super aggressive. That's my next step. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do sort of, okay. So the other technique for treating capsular contracture is to use what's called an ADM or an acellular dermal matrix. And this is basically cadaver skin that's been washed, processed, treated. All the live elements have been washed away. And it's been shown, we saw this mainly in our breast reconstruction patients, that using this mesh with implants decreases the chances or recurrences of capsular contracture. Correct. The problem with it, number one, it's very expensive. Number two, it is another foreign body. <clears throat> $3,000. and uh, Per sheet. <laughs> per side. Money. So, and, it, and it's another foreign body that you're already putting in to totally. an implant. There's an increased risk of infection. So it's not something I just throw in loosely. So I kind of gauge my patients. If it's their first time with capsular contracture and we have an obvious reason why it happened, maybe they're old implants, maybe they were above the muscle, I won't necessarily use it. If it's a recurrent capsular contracture or if they just need a mesh for some other reason, maybe they have really loose breast tissue and they'd benefit from having some extra soft tissue support and they're okay with paying for it, then yeah, I'll go ahead and use that as well. It does work. It does work. But it ain't cheap. It's not cheap. And I think if you do all the other steps, you take out the whole capsule, you do the pocket change, you put in a brand new implant, you don't need to necessarily jump to that. Right. But if you fail all of those other aggressive steps, then yes, 
I use the ADM. It's mm. a lot of a lot of choices. It's a lot of choices, and I think what is super important, and I try and impress this on my patients, and it, it's kind of funny because we just did a revision rhinoplasty podcast, and I like to think of these revision breast cases in a similar way. It's nothing like your first primary breast augmentation surgery. Your first primary breast augmentation surgery, you probably did fine. You know, you were in now, you're back to work in a week, and it was fine. And it wasn't maybe that expensive. But now when you're coming back and you're talking about doing removal of the capsule, changing the pocket, possibly putting in a mesh, and let's not even talk about if you need a lift or a mastopexy. This is a whole new ballgame of surgery. This surgery is three times as long and three times as expensive, and the recovery is definitely much more prolonged. It's not a little tiny primary breast augmentation surgery. That is the truth. I mean, you have to recognize that revision anything is a different animal. It's a different animal. And I feel for my patients when they see, it's a sticker shock too. You know, they get, they see this cost of the revision surgery and it's like, that's not what I paid the first time around. No, the first time they paid 10, 12,000 bucks for, well, or or less. Or less, depending where they are. Now, I mean, looking at easily $20,000 or more, especially if you're putting in the mesh because it's a big surgery and it takes a long time. That capsulectomy, taking out the whole capsule, that is a whole separate surgery in itself. It takes a long time. Yeah, there's serious work involved. And the the reason that these revision operations are expensive is because we've got to take care of these patients a lot. They require tons of follow-up. We cannot, we just can't say it enough that the follow-up is key. Follow-up is huge. You are going to have drains, one on each side. Those drains will stay in place for anywhere from two up to three weeks. And I'm kind of a meanie. I'm mean mom. I don't let my patients shower when they have their drains in. I just you are a mean mom. I am a mean mom. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing they really want is to take a shower. But I just no, it drains I in get now. so paranoid no. about infection and tainting the field. And I just, sorry, sponge bathe. How about no? How about no? You are no. not getting to shower <laughs> till this is these drains are out. But yeah. once the drains are out, you're all good. Once your drains are out, you're fine and, and life gets substantially better. But those two to three weeks that you have the drains in, you're you're gonna be kind of grumpy, you know? Well, I mean, you gotta do it. Uh especially if you do you know, these big wide capsulectomies, I mean, they weep fluid and mm-hmm. you you don't want fluid like You don't want your like, fluid collecting around the implant. If no. you put the mesh in, you absolutely need a drain. 100%. So it's, uh, it's a big deal surgery. Um, and it's not But you can make really nice breasts. You can make really nice breasts. And I think when you're thinking about capsular contraction, if you really want a good mental image in your in your mind about what we're talking about here... It's those implants from the 80s, from the 70s and 80s, that just look like water balloons stuck on the chest. And I I used to work with this older plastic surgeon who put in lots of these implants. And he would chuckle because he would say, you know, I would have colleagues that would say, oh, I've never had capsular contracture. And he's like, every single one of my implants I put in the 70s and 80s got capsular contracture. But people didn't realize that that's what it was. They thought that's what implants, you know, are supposed to Yeah, they're supposed to, to be hard. Like. They're supposed to be hard and round. That's just what implants do. Well, no. <laughs> I had a patient ask me that. They go, are, are they going to get hard and round like my friends? I was like, <laughs> they better not. That's not, what? The, that's not the goal. Yeah, like two hard rocks. <laughs> no, yeah. that's not good. Yeah, no. I, I mean... 
you know, breast implant surgery works very well, but when capsular contracture rears its ugly head, you got to you got to you got to go ham on that. You got to do it. You got to. You want to treat it right. You got to treat it right. You got to, you know, do the commitment with the time, with the recovery, with you know the cost. It's it's a whole different ball game, and it's it's not not a small surgery by any means. Well. Let's hope we don't get any more capsular contractures for the rest of our careers. Is that possible? Put it out there to the universe. All right. Maybe it'll happen. good. Well, in that case, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Rock Spa Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-644-1111. You can go to their respective websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. Rock Spa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty. And if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast, you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com, and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.